All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, I am speaking with Alyssa, who is an entrepreneur and thought leader in the coaching industry. She is dedicated to women's empowerment and leads soul-centered professional mastermind groups. She has supported tens of thousands of people around the world to transform their businesses and lives, has been featured by Deepak Chopra, Forbes, Inc., Entrepreneur, Bank of America, YPO, Psychology Today, and many others. She is the founder of Mastery for Coaches, an online business course for conscious entrepreneurs. She's also a licensed clinical somatic psychotherapist with a master's degree from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. She also served on faculty at the University of Santa Monica, where she holds a second master's degree in spiritual psychology. Wow. That's some impressive stuff. I'm excited to have you. Yeah, it's amazing. What's next? I know. Well, building my own my own school and certification program is is what's next. Well, I can't wait to jump into that. I mean, we had such a, I will call it aligned introduction call. What was that last week or two weeks ago? Uh, that just felt so right and, and flowed in the right way. So I can't wait to just jam with you for the next hour or so. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited about this topic of mental fitness and really empowering people with tools to live more open-hearted, open-minded, and free. And I feel like we don't get enough of these conversations growing up and in our school system. So I'm glad that you're doing this podcast. Oh, thank you. Totally, totally agree. Before we dive into that, I have to ask the same question that every show starts off on, and that is just you know, as we sit here today and speaking to each other, who, who are you? Who defines you today? <laughs> who am I? That is the, I would say that that question led me my entire life to more deeply know and experience who I am. Mm. And until maybe my late twenties. And then I really, I really just, I got it in a deeper way and more embodied way. Um, but most of my life was about unraveling a story about who I thought I was. And then yeah. I started entrepreneurship and everyone's like, well, who are you? And it was like, oh, I need to recreate a story <laughs> of who I am. Um, sure. And so I would say that I, you know, I'm happy to go into a deeper spiritual inquiry around who I am. But in, in terms of my life's work and what I've been really um, driven by is is transformation and helping people wake up to who they are beyond their stories and to live freely and open and uh part of that looked like having a dad at 12 into shamanism and really knowing that i wanted to do healing work but also knowing wanting to do marketing and very modern mm -hmm. everyday life um led me on a path to becoming a licensed psychotherapist and into performance and leadership and business and how all of those actually blend together. Because as we say yes to what it is in our hearts, everything that's been unresolved comes up and literally business can be used as a personal development program if you use it that way. And so really using everyday life triggers to get free, to live more authentic and whole has been a big part of my orientation, both personally and professionally. That's amazing. It's there was a just in preparing for the our conversation, I I saw some language around it, just this idea of 
you know, you're always fascinated about, you know, healing in the woods, for example, or, or nature, but also, you know, rocking it in New York City <laughs> in stilettos type thing, right? So I, I'm curious, because obviously those are, are very different worlds. Yeah. And I totally resonate with them, because even back in the Kyo days, our journaling app, the reason it was actually called Kyo, which is a Japanese word for today, was this concept of, I had visited Tokyo for work at one point and it's like, wow, there's this, this, this environment where you can literally walk in the craziness and the busyness of the city, but then walk through a temple, you know, at at this time on my way to a conference, for example, and just like everything quiets. And like, you can have those moments no matter where you're at. And it just made me think of that when I heard <laughs> the, the, you know, the way you were describing uh, you as a child and being interested in this stuff. But I'd love to hear it from you. Like how, yeah. how did that all come about? You know, it's, I talk about these two parts of me. One is from friends. Like I have these little characters. One is Monica, the type A businesswoman. Yeah. The other one's Phoebe, kind of like smelly cat and free spirited <laughs> and spontaneous. And I, it, it's interesting because I never questioned that I couldn't honor and have both. And so I just kept saying yes to everything that unfolded and what I was led to. And that led me to everything that was in my life was perfectly showing me the next evolution. And I would have definitely swung on the pendulum more towards entrepreneurship or more towards spirituality. And it feels like it's at a much more integrated place, but I'm interested in, and for a while I was doing 17 silent retreats um, in within like two years. And then I swung, you know, into the entrepreneurship building a, a successful business. But for me, I'm most interested in how do we live very grounded and clear in a modern day society. So it's for a while, it was like, how do I take dominion over my mind so that I can see the thoughts and patterns and not get stuck in them? And that is like going to the gym. It does. It is a muscle that's built this mindfulness practice so that, and I would say there's three stages of that. I'm happy to unpack it with you because sometimes, (laughs) sometimes people, there's three stages. So sometimes people, when they're first starting to do this work, they think, ignorance is bliss. Like I was happier before I started doing this, but really that they're just waking up to the unconscious patterns and programming that they've been living and operating out of. And that's kind of a hard place. It's a hard place to be. And the second stage is becoming aware of it and starting to change it sometimes, at least having some dominion over an old patterning or program comes up and you see it, but there's a little bit of space between you and it. You see that it's not your entire worldview and you have dominion over believing that or questioning your thoughts. So that's the second stage. And then the third is you see it and you can acknowledge it and move on. Anything that we push against, we are stuck with. And so if we judge a pattern, we're just further caught in it. And so the third stage is really about seeing it, knowing that judgment doesn't help, but also not identifying with it helps. So just seeing it, letting it pass on like a meditation practice. And over time, the every time that you don't feed it and you don't push away, it weakens that pattern. And so eventually it dissolves. And I mm. used to think that there were core patterns that I couldn't dissolve and through and commitment and through practice and just going to the mental, going to gym, essentially they've completed in ways that I have opened me to a life that I didn't think was possible, but it takes practice. And it takes also not having that intention <laughs> of doing it so that then it goes away. Cause that's more resistance. Yeah. Um, but but really, I would say that part of my life path has just been about honoring what's most true. And it's always led me to life experiences and teachers and people who have supported me in more deeply realizing 
a way of being that can be very much about being in New York and, and I don't live in New York, but, you know, being in a city life and very, being very at peace because thoughts are a part of our life, the part of being human. And yeah. so how do we learn to navigate? Do we, do we learn to surf and, and ride with our thoughts or do we get tumbled by the wave and have them take us over? And so I find that sometimes people, if they're emo- like, there are two types of people in the emotional world. There's the indulgers and the avoiders. And the avoiders think that postponing or resisting works. And I would be all for that if it did, but it, it doesn't. And then the indulgers have no idea of what the thoughts are that create their feelings. And so really teaching them about mindfulness practices, about questioning their thoughts and programming can help them reorganize and reorient into a new way of being. But for me, I, I just, I feel so passionate about empowering people with the tools that I've learned along the way, that I've discovered along the way, that really are what make life more quality, more, you know, because I think we've been sold this um, sales pitch about it's bigger, better, faster, more. And I think we're kind ever. of, <laughs> I think we're waking up out of that. And it, and I think, and I, I know what you're onto and what you're sharing is where the real gold is and it's available to everybody in every moment. It's like an Etch-A-Sketch where this moment it's fresh, it's new. And the more we kind of break those habits and doing it through mindset practices, um, we discover a, a life that wasn't available to us before. And so for me, that's been my commitment. And it's like, the uh, the the goal that I never want to end is really mastering facilitation and and feeling like I'm living my best life so that I can serve others to do the same. Beautifully said. I love it. It's yeah. It makes me think that there's just this. It's almost like this unlimited expansion of possibility. The more you dive into these practices and and start, you know, it's like you said. It 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 is work. You know, there isn't this um, fictitious kind of dream that all of a sudden, you know, you set an intention or you, you're manifesting something and there's no work <laughs> involved in that. I know that gets a bad rap, but you know, there's, when you're willing to put in the work, just like you are physically at the gym, yeah. you know, this, this beautiful world starts to open up that at least I haven't felt like I've even come close to reaching the, the end of what's possible yeah. in terms of exploration, like, you know, even just different mod- modalities and practices and whatnot. It's, um, it's really nice once you, you, you get into that phase, but there is a phase that I, and you mentioned it, I think I want to say it was probably that, that second part about, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, if I, I misheard uh, you speak, but I know for me, when I really started dialing into these practices, I felt like I was almost getting worse in a yes. way. And, yes. And, you know, I started chalking that up to am I, or the question that was in my mind was like, am I just more self-aware and I'm just feeling a lot more and, you know, being aware of what's happening and, you know, things are starting to present itself or am I actually, you know, more anxious or whatever the, you know, the situation was. And Mm -hmm. I remember that being a really bizarre place, at -hmm. least for me. And I'm imagining you probably see that often enough with clients. Yeah. And and I think it's an important question for people to ask, because I do think that some people can go down the rabbit hole. And for me, that's definitely was my story. When I was becoming a licensed psychotherapist, it was the shadow. I think of that work can be, it's beautiful. And I love it deeply. And if I wasn't mindful, the shadow could have been that I was someone healing in this, and it would have never stopped. Meaning, um, 
it was like a self-improvement project that was never ending. And, and actually the shadow of coaching is that we're always chasing goals. And so I think the foundation to come at both of them is presence and to have honest discernment. And so I love you asking and empowering people with questions to hear their own wisdom and answers because there is going to be a time. And for me, part of why I left therapy was because it, it felt like it was just one other thing. And you get raw and exposed. And there's a, there's a point where going into that work for a period of time is really helpful and, and excavating and deeply resourceful and not to ever stop, mm-hmm. but not to have it as, for me, the main priority. And um, it was such a main intention for about you know 10 years. And that's, that's great, but this is also my craft and my work. And so I wanted to deeply understand it. Um, and I think it's a powerful question to look at, is this helping me? And it's hard to discern when, you know, so for example, neuroscientists say that it takes 90 seconds to feel an emotion before and before it moves through the body. And if you're, what I've discovered is if you're still feeling something longer than 90 seconds, you're not just purely feeling it as sensation in the body. It means you're telling yourself a story about it and it's looping in your nervous system. And so being able to understand, okay, how do I, what's healthy for me around a range of processing something so that I don't get taken out of the game, but I'm still living my life and, and looking at some of these deeper things that have, I've been operating out of unconsciously that isn't helpful or even true. And so I think there's a time to, you know, just understand ourselves in terms of, am I wired more towards the indulgence or the avoidance and what is my sweet spot around this? Um, And am I in this phase of real deep personal transformation or professional transformation? And, or is this a way of being for me? So I think all of, all of those questions, I think are helpful for people to honestly sit with and find, because there are going to be times where it's what's called for and what, what's most important to you. And then other times it feels like it's taking you away from being more present in your life and creating what it is you want. Love that. Love that question. Is this helping me? I mean, that's, you know, that's why I'm so obsessed with these questions because literally one, one prompt like that, I mean, really can really diffuse a, mm-hmm. a wild situation, right? Mm-hmm. I, I often say it's like, we're, we are New York times bestselling authors when it comes to the stories <laughs> that we can craft in our minds, right? Like the truest, most oh real God. stories possible. Isn't it funny? <laughs> I mean, it's so innocent, isn't it? It's like yeah. all this fear is just here to protect. And it's so nice to know that the movie's playing versus just thinking that we're in the movie. You know, it's just, there, yeah. that small shift and that's what mindfulness, you know, going to the gym, that's what it does is like, oh, I'm in the audience watching the movie. I'm not actually the character taking everything to be personal, going to worst case scenario, because that's what the mind does to protect itself. It's you, you can see all of this and then it's like, oh, let's enjoy the movie and eat popcorn. It's way better yeah. that way. Well, so let's talk about the movie because the, I mean, the other thing too, like you, you work in a space that obviously helps others and um, helps them with their business and themselves, obviously first and foremost, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, you're building this massive business and it's been, you know, wildly successful from what, from what I can see. Mm -hmm. Um, But you, you know, it's not like you're superhuman either. I mean, I'm sure you struggle with, you know, the regular things that everyone else does. So I'm curious you know, and maybe this has evolved over time, but like, do you, are, were there any moments where, you know, you struggled with you know, kind of 
pulling out and watching the movie and like what helped you? <laughs> oh my God. What helped you? I was deep in the movie and <laughs> swamp for so long. I mean, my core story, my core wound, really everything. So I don't know if you know much about the Enneagram, but I love the Enneagram as a personality yeah. assessment test. So I, my personality type, it's not who you are. It's about your personality. And my personality type is a three, which is an achiever. So unconsciously I was finding my worth through success, through what I did and sure. how I performed. And I made the, my mind good to even, even sometimes our languaging rather than to say I made like the mind made this mean. So that's can be helpful at a certain stage, but my mind made it mean that I wasn't successful enough or I wasn't something enough for everything. It was like, they didn't stop off to drop off your mail. Oh, I'm not successful. It was like made up the most bizarre random <laughs> stories. And it, my core story like clouded everything, my relationships, my work, the opportunities I said yes to. I was really living in a lot of shame and low self-worth. And that was for many, many years. And spiritual practices work, psychological practices, different things started supporting me in waking up out of it. It took a long time. I actually didn't think that I would ever wake up out of that. But ironically, in letting myself and I call this the paradox of transformation and letting myself fully somatically, meaning sensational in the body, feel this experience of not being good enough and opening to it and breathing into those sensations and allowing it. Wow. It moved on and sure. it woke me up to who I am beyond a story of good enough or not good enough. And that is, that's priceless. That's my limitless self. And I couldn't, and then there was a period where I saw it, but I couldn't get back to that realization. And so it's definitely evolved around my core story, yeah. 110%. And where some of my growth edge now, I, ironically, is more around building a team and, and hiring and systems and relationships in that way, but more so um, in terms of leadership and practical. You know, I went from you know, having a small business to a large organization. And that's really happened and evolved over this year. So it's calling me forward in a different way, but it now comes from a really, um, a more stable place of not just assuming my beliefs to be true. Sure. And that is everything, especially when it has to do with my self-worth, but it's, you know, it's not like it's just hundred percent done. It can creep in for sure. Um, but it doesn't have the same weight like it had. And I guess I want to share that with people because I didn't know that if I just stayed with it and I was compassionate with myself through all of my humanity and whatever was coming forward, it, it eventually did, it really genuinely did change. Just like my relationship with my mom, whom I love, who works on my team, um, okay. or, is, you know, moving on now, but um, she, it, that was the hardest relationship in my life. And I stayed true to doing the work. And I never thought that I could shift that. And, and I have, and we talk every day, it's fun, it's light. And I just, um, I guess this is a sales pitch to stay with it and know that there are different phases and yeah. to make sure that you are empowered with the right tools or, or a part of your work is the right questions to help unlock your own insights and wisdom. Cause they're there if, if you have the right questions. Well, I wanted to ask you, you know, practically speaking, because it even when you started describing just staying with that feeling and, and the mm -hmm. way you were describing, I mean, I could, I mean, I, there was almost a transfer of energy there. I could feel um, how challenging that must have been. Like, w what were some of the things that you were doing 
to, to process through <laughs> yeah. because I mean, there's so many of us. Okay. I'll share right? with you. I'll share with you a moment in time where it was a pretty big one for me. So what I love about coaching is that you call your clients or you call yourself forward beyond your comfort zone where all the fear gets kicked up. So I was just a marriage and family therapist intern doing my work in my office. It was magic, but nobody knew about it. I was like very much in my comfort zone. Okay. And somebody had had a session with me that worked on Deepak Chopra's um, uh, uh, company and they wanted to share it. And so they came to my office and filmed three sessions and it call, it got me so uncomfortable. I wasn't looking for anything. They just came. <laughs> I was paralyzed in fear because I didn't know these two people that were going to come to my office and now I'm supposed to perform magic and make sure that we have an amazing session and it was filmed. So I was literally, as they're setting up downstairs, I'm in my daughter's room upstairs, laying on her pink floor, feeling wow. crippled, paralyzed with this unworthiness, this like, I want to hide. I'm scared. I don't want to do this. And I just, I put my hand on my heart and on my belly. And I said, well, what if I just let myself feel it? And mind you, and what I think one of the most important things is, you want to have some level of resource, some level of safety and nourishment before you go to anything that you've avoided, anything that seems hard. Because if you really break it down, the worst thing that can happen is a feeling. And a feeling aren't facts. They're just sensations in the body. But if we're not telling ourselves who we are because we're feeling this, we're not going down that narrative. It's just sensation in the body. And so I laid there on the ground, hand, heart, and belly, and I just let myself feel that and I could see that it wasn't me. It was just energy in the body. And I breathed into it. It was usually around the belly. For me, it was there. It's oftentimes the throat, the heart of the belly, core stuff is held. I just breathed into it. And I let myself 100% say yes to it. I wasn't resisting it. And ironically, it was way easier than staying in my mind or pushing it away. I just... I just said yes. And it moved through and I was present. I had tears. I was having compassion for this energy and I was allowing it. Wow. And from there, I felt like whatever I just did and what I, whatever I just did, I wanted to offer to them. It was no longer the session to get something from them so that I look good. It was like, I want to gift you what I just experienced myself. Yeah. And I went downstairs and it was powerful work. And it was inviting them to do the same exact thing. And, and I, at that point knew that my performance, it didn't mean anything about me, whether they got it or didn't. I knew my inherent worth because I had just been willing to face the very thing that I was deeply avoiding with presence, with love. And it moved through and, and, and I kept saying yes to little things along the way. But for me, what I love about coaching is that as I challenge myself outside my comfort zone, that's when it gets real. That's when the rubber hits the road and all these parts of me that wanted to hide, get activated to be seen, to be felt, to be um, acknowledged and they move through. And so like, for example, I used to hate public speaking. And so I booked a talk <laughs> and you better believe like I cried from my gut fear of being rejected, like guttural yeah. deep cry, this fear of ascent. It's like a primal, I'll be abandoned. Right. Sure. And I just let myself go there. And then it just freed up so much energy. We've all kind of heard this, this analogy of a beach ball holding all this energy underwater. Well, when I let it go, I just was light. And then I started speaking. And then I realized I love speaking on stages. And it's so fun now without this core fear of thinking I'm going to be rejected. 
And so part of the work that I love and that I, I, that I blend is yes, going for your dreams and getting clear and, and strategic on a goal, but doing the deeper work so that you not only clear it with one situation, but you no longer have to take it with you to your next goal or project or relationship. You get free. You use all of it to get free. What a story. I mean, I, I, it's funny. I was going to ask you a question, something around the lines of, you know, how does one end up on Deepak Chopra's YouTube <laughs> channel? Never in a million years would I guessed or visualized, you know, your yeah, daughter's the, pink the room. Yeah, behind the scenes. Let's talk <laughs> yeah. about this pink room that I'm just deeply feeling my, I'm paralyzed. Yeah, yeah, that's what's true. But so authentic. And I'm so happy you shared that. It, it, it does it. So when you're going through that, is that linked to uh, your comment around the, the truly feeling those yeah. feelings for 90 seconds? Yeah. 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 And I'll share with you. I just, the, the way that I teach my clients and coaches how to process is more in an integrative model. And so okay. there's five levels and one of them is somatic, which means body centered. And that's where you feel the raw sensations in your body. So that's one level. Another level is emotional mastery. And that's where we talked about how do you actually feel an emotion without um, being on spin cycle and ruminating in it? Or mm. how do you actually feel it and so that it moves through and you're not avoiding? So that's the emotional level. And there's mastery around, I would say, each of these levels. And then the other is mindset, which it sounds like this, this community is pretty clear on. And then also behavioral. Sometimes people just need the practical, how do I start a business? How do I create clients? Yeah. Like the very strategic. And then lastly is unconscious. And the unconscious is fun. And, um, you know, I'm happy to, to speak about that because it's less, you know, I have to share more stories because it's not so steps one through three. Um, it's a bit more, it's a bit Evolve. deeper. Take some work. Yeah, let's, let's dive into that because yeah. I mean, that... You know, there's not a lot of people that talk about that, or I would say people speak about it and people on the other side have no idea or they're, yeah. you know, lost and, and think it's some sort of mystical world type thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it is. And there's a lot of programming that gets influenced. And I would say most of our programming was just through my study and, and work as a psychotherapist. Most of it's set until we're about seven years old, like this form, these formative years. And we then unconsciously live out of these perspectives. And yeah. until they come off, you oftentimes don't even know they were weighing you down. And what I love about your work is the power of questions. And so one question I ask clients to help them unlock their wisdom is to say, if they're telling me that they want something and they haven't been able to achieve it, I get curious and I slow it down and I help them get mindful so that they can hear their insights. And I say, what is one fear you have of getting your goal? And Ooh. oftentimes they're like, I don't have any fear of having my goal. And I, and so I'll slow it down a little bit more and I'll share and I'll, and I'll ask, and you, people can write this down. It's a really powerful inquiry that they can take. If I get my goal, I fear, and then just listen and you'll start to unravel and, and hear what's in there. So for example, there was a woman who I worked with and she had seen other coaches and she, you know, was doing all the things to build her business. And she kept capping at this upper limit around making $200,000 in her business. Didn't matter what else she did. She couldn't get beyond it. And so she came to me and I asked her this question, what do you fear would happen if you made more than 200,000? And of course she looked at me, started laughing. She was like, okay, I don't fear anything would happen. Yeah. Alyssa, if I made more than 200,000, I said, if you make 200,000, you fear, 
And then tears started rolling down her cheeks. And she realized that when her mom got a raise, her parents got a divorce. Hmm. And so she had this competing desire to, and this programming saying, if I make more money, then I'm not going to be with my husband. And so for her, it's not about pushing harder. Most of us, it's about getting out of our own way and then creating a strategy. And so if you, if your listeners are, are having a goal and they're not able to bring it to fruition, you can ask yourself this question. You can ask it for anything. I've asked it around weight and you would be surprised at how the answers, because oftentimes it's not from the analytical mind that's, that's answering the question. It's something deeper inside and listen to the body. A lot of the unconscious is held in the body. And so if there are images or Um, memories or sensations that come up, get curious and stay with that and follow it because it has its own answers to reveal to you. And there's so much more of your pure potential that's tapped in when you're not just analytically living your life, when you are tuned into your body and to a deeper intelligence so that you have all of it on board. Both are important, but some of these questions can help unlock your own wisdom. Oh yeah. So much. I mean, I'm just envisioning asking that question and in a you know blank page notebook and just letting whatever comes to mind flow. I mean, I'm assuming that's how you can start unlocking if you're if you're by yourself and you're yeah. not with someone coaching you through it, and just see where it goes. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and and some other questions like, what do I know for absolute certainty that I would bet the most precious thing in your life? What do you know with absolute certainty the most precious thing in your life? And if you really sit with that in inquiry, in silence, you know, you'll, you'll be surprised that you can't really know anything with absolute certainty that you would bet everything on. Wow. Powerful stuff. And then, and then we just take our rational knowing to its edge, which is kind of exciting beyond the, the fear of it. It's, it. It opens up to the unknown where there's a lot of freedom. Um, and there can be fear of the, of the oak structure that gets scared. Yeah. What's I've heard you talk a lot about judgment as well. And I, yeah. I love, cause that's man, who's not judging themselves <laughs> and, and others, frankly, but we judge ourselves pretty hard. And I feel like, I feel like we're aware when we're judging others, but yeah. less aware when we're ju- judging ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think some people are more wired to, yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting. I, I used to have a really fierce inner critic And it would stop me from doing a lot of things or assuming people were judging me, but really it was just a reflection of my own judgment. So Mm. everybody is a mirror showing me about my own mind. And if I use it that way and I could, so what's beautiful about the mind is that it's, it's, it's like, we're going to project it onto everything. So everything's like an ink blot. And if I'm perceiving that they're judging me, it's just a reflection of how I'm judging me. Mm-hmm. And I don't need them to change, but I can be compassionate with the judge in myself. And that's, what's going to shift it. Wow. Yeah. So I don't need them to change. And I'm more, com- and so as I'm more compassionate with myself, I am naturally more compassionate with their judge or their critic. And that doesn't mean we don't have boundaries and we don't say, Hey, that doesn't work for me. And we, you know, but it doesn't yeah, come with this trigger and this againstness and in yeah. And so for me, being compassionate with the inner critic was a, was a big part of, was a few, quite a few years for me as a practice. And I used to just, everything would go as like a radio station. I was tuned into criticism all of the time and I was <laughs> criticizing my criticism. So it made it way worse. 
And I realized that I started making a game with it. I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be judging. Like in this moment, I'm judging. Great. Because the acceptance was the way out every yeah. single time. Otherwise, I was just more, I was further caught in it. And I could see the compassion in it. So for example, I am aware that everything that I'm doing has an ulterior motive. It thinks it's trying to help me in some way, but it's unconscious. And so I, I discover what is that payoff? How is it trying to serve me? Well, if I judge myself for being for procrastinating, then I'm really going to start uh, showing up. And if I investigate and find out, I realize actually I feel more paralyzed. I'm going to the kitchen and eating and I'm not actually feeling as productive. So it doesn't actually work. So I like to give people the opportunity to run experiments, to try things on, not to believe me, but just to see what works for them. So for maybe 24 hours, and anybody listening can take this challenge on for 24 hours, what happens when I, when I thank that part of me that's judging me, when I thank it, and then I keep moving on my day? Just to find out, is that actually more productive? Because in my experience and discovery, compassion is productive. Well, for sure. And as I do that, I feel better, but I also bring more of my vibrance to my team and to my work and to my clients and family. Um, and so I think life is really beautifully wired that way, where it works for us and it works um, for others and for our goals. So I think just having compassion for the critic and discovering how it's really just trying to protect you or it has an ulterior motive and it may not be so effective helps unravel and unwire that. Yeah, I feel it's been a bit of a theme on my side that I feel, I, you know, I'm seeing the signs I feel uh, on that topic because it seems that this disconnection, you know, it's not, it, I think you said at the beginning, but it's not about pushing it away so that there's, you know, the equal amount of resistance coming back, but just not that those thoughts and emotions are like right in your body. I mean, you're, you're somewhat disconnected from it or back to the movie example. And, and just even that softens the situation, mm -hmm. right? Where you can start um, to your point, you know, being a little bit more compassionate. Mm -hmm. Are you using like, uh, like a journaling practice or some sort of practice to often facilitate that? Yeah. I often, I often question my beliefs to about two times a week. I'll just set up an hour and I just mm. sit with something that's frustrating or stressing me out. And I'll go back to that situation, like a movie in my mind and I'll press play on the movie. And then I look again at what I was interpreting it to mean. And then I question can I really know that what I was believing and assuming is accurate onto the situation? Oftentimes it makes, you know, the ego, ego makes everything personal. And so it, it says they don't like me or I did something wrong or they were judging me. And so then it's just about pressing play on the movie, looking again, and the ego hates stillness. And so it's really, because it's a really powerful process for me, I need to get an, um, an inquiry partner. I sit with somebody, she holds space for me for 30 minutes. I hold space for her for 30 minutes. And we usually, um, we do it weekly at minimum and then I'll have a practice on my own, but, or I'll, I'll do it with my husband, but I really love, um, being held in that space because I'll find everything else to do at my house, especially during these times, but really just sitting in stillness and, and asking is, is what I'm believing true about that situation. And I start to unravel it and find what else may be possible that I, I find that actually undoing is more powerful than telling more story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and another question I sometimes I'll sit with is what do I know that I don't want to know? Ooh, I like that. 
And, and I've asked this with clients and I've had a lot of different insights people have shared. Like, for example, I, one thing I realized about myself is that I was dependent on other people for a long time to make decisions. That was making things really inefficient in my business. I would ask their opinion, but I was, when I asked this question, what do I know that I don't want to know? I realized I didn't want to have the burden of, of taking responsibility if something didn't work out. Like I had made it with the team. I wasn't going to make them responsible, but it was like, okay, they thought it was a good idea too. Versus me standing in my autonomy and saying, this is what felt right. Yeah. And and then I've had other people discover that they would they wouldn't leave people. They would push other people away until they left, right? And yeah. and um, yeah, so different. It's funny insights. how we know those things, right? But it's <laughs> yeah. just like there, it, you know. Once we actually, you know, c- come to terms with that, and I, I've had that come up in my life several times as well. And it's just funny how we're we absolutely know we're doing that, but we're so good. And like, again, masters of the mind in some, Mm -hmm. in a way to just like push that into the corner. Ah, That's just, it's like, it's like the room that you don't want to clean or something. It's (laughs) like, you know, it's there, uh, but we'll just close the door or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and I, and I feel like through my investigation, I, I've found how much lighter and vibrant and better my life is when I don't put anything under the rug. And like when I keep that room clear. And so I feel like, I feel like in the beginning, people do personal development work because they need to. Uh, And then eventually they discover, wow, this is pro being proactive helps me in every other area of my life. And so they start getting hooked for a different reason, but maybe that's not how they got into it. Oh, for sure. I mean, for me, the, the example or the parallel is always, back. And it's why I use the term mental fitness a lot, just because I feel like people are a little bit more open Mm -hmm. or can draw the parallel to physical fitness, but people get, I mean, you're not just going to go compete in an Ironman without some (laughs) training before, right? Mm -hmm. I guess you can, but it, you know, won't make for the the greatest experience. And I feel like on the mental side of things and mental fitness, it's, you know, it's no different. I mean, if you're, if you're training your mind every day, you're training your mind to handle what's going to come up throughout the day and you've got a different set of tools that you can deploy and, you know, it's not going to be perfect, but, um, just like physical training, you know, you get better and you get better. Um, you know, it's less about just going crazy all in without, you know, working your way up to those steps. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, and they're perishable, like there's muscle memory, but we have to have a practice. It's gotta be part of our way of being, yeah. Otherwise, otherwise we go back to our operating system and, you know, maybe your, your parents got divorced and your mom was like, don't trust men. And that was your operating system. And now you're single and you don't get it, but it's, it, it's wired in there. And so I, I, I'm, I so value doing this work and, and it is a commitment and it does take practice. And I do find that having a community makes a big difference. Having the right tools, oh yeah, having a community, listening to podcasts like this, reading good books, having practices where you ask yourself some of these questions, like you invite them to do all of this is like, yeah, this is how we're evolving. I think as a species now it's more internal rather than external. Yeah, I agree. It's, I was giving um, I was giving a talk yesterday and I was just reflecting after the after the presentation at the, the questions that were coming from the virtual audience obviously mm-hmm. um, and I just kind of came to this realization that you know we talked about a lot of you know how to start a mental fitness practice and how to personalize it for for you as a as your own person and whatnot but at the end of the day it 
to me, at least how the questions were coming in, I feel like we just need constant reminders. Yeah. And it, it doesn't have like, whether that's an intention on a post-it on your mirror <laughs> or, you know, you know, practice stacking with, as you're making your coffee, you know, taking a moment to think or reflect or like, it doesn't matter. There's a million different things you can do. But I, I feel like the realization that keeps coming up on my side, as I'm speaking about this more and more is that we, it, we can't let ourselves go on default mode. Cause to your yes. point, we have, we're, we're pre-programmed in a way with, by our, our uh, history, obviously, and the experiences. And then we go out into the world and we get jammed full, especially now full of, you know, negative news and just, I would just say negativity in, in general and like health wise, you know, mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. nutritious how we're being mm-hmm. marketed to like essentially all aspects of, of life and society. So like we need those reminders and obviously a community is a great one uh, to have to help build that up. Yeah. But I, you know, I wanted to ask you, cause I, man, I feel like I could speak to you all afternoon, <laughs> but I want to be conscious of your time. But as a mom, you have three kids, right? Yeah. I'm yeah. a step mama. Yeah. Okay. So like how, how do you go about trying to, you know, teach them these practices? A bit of a, a selfish question. I mean, I have a four-year-old and he's starting to pick up on, you know, these things and whatnot, but I'm curious for, for all the parents out there or really anyone that you're modeling mm-hmm. for, you know, mm-hmm. the, I would the best say, way. Yeah. I would say the first thing is to do it yourself because whatever we're interested in as parents, yeah. the kids get curious about, and then we live as an example more so. And I remember my husband and I, so I've been with my husband since our youngest was six months. So, you know, my, that she's now 12. Um, and so they used to come in our room and we were meditating in the morning. And so they'd sit suit fidgety, you know, yeah. but they, they wanted to be with us. They wanted, they, they wanted to emulate us and they do. And so um, they happen to have a really progressive school, which we consciously chose for that sure. reason, but also making sure that, you know, we share with them about learning to question your thoughts. So it's part of the family system. And then we choose which movies to watch. Um, and we have conversations about it and we go there, we share vulnerably for ourselves, but I find, and so, you know, I think there's a lot of practical tools and, um, people that are innovative around this. And I would say the biggest thing is us living it. But in terms of research and science, the only the in terms of habits, the the only thing that's actually helped create sustainable change that's scientifically backed from what I understand is doing something small daily. And so making sure that it's a part of the fabric of your family or of your life so that it's, sure. you know, even if it's like setting up a, uh, for me, for a while, I used to set up this alarm for to go off every hour and I would take one conscious breath mm. and that was it. And it started waking me up out of my contraction, especially when I was at my computer or at work. And so it expand my awareness back rather than getting really microscopic. And I found that to be really helpful, but you, you know, making games and I, and I also find with kids, you know, in terms of incorporating it, but I, I would say, you know, kids are our teachers. I remember coming in quite clear. I remember, you know, this may be a bit out there for some people, but I remember looking in the mirror and laughing because my brother, my two older brothers, one of my brother's friends liked me. And I started laughing, looking in the mirror, touching my face, being like, oh, this is who he thinks I am. Wow. And, and so I just want to point that kids have a lot, they're, they're tapped in, they have a lot of intuition and wisdom, and we can really learn and listen from them 
and to support the flowering of their own knowing and to get curious about it and to feed it if it's there, if it's, if it's alive. Um, but for me, having one person in my life that deeply saw me, that was really present with me, and I love my parents, but my, my grandfather was a spark for me. He died when I was three and he was my first memory, but him being deeply present with me kept something alive in me that serves me to this day. And so oh, really being present with little ones and nurturing and seeing them in their wholeness is beyond any tool or anything and is the greatest gift. So true. And they, I mean, and they'll let you know when you're not present. That's the other, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's the other thing there. Yeah, I agree there. It's, uh, it, I, it, you made me reflect just after asking that question, you're right to, to almost flip the script. It's like, what can we learn from them? Mm-hmm. Frankly, because mm-hmm. they're, especially, you know, the younger they are, I mean, they're just, they're so pure, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. I often think, I mean, wow, he's just no judgment, just asking, I mean, a, th- a million questions at this point a day. <laughs> and That's that age for sure. <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny because, you know, then we start going through life and life happens. And at one point, for the most part, people hit some sort of wall and all of a sudden start asking questions again. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's like you start reverting mm-hmm. back, trying yeah. to get as close as you can to that childlike yeah. curiosity and that no judgment and just like living, you know, life as it is. It's, it's, it's wild. Yeah. And I think that life is the real coach. That's what I'll tell my coaches or clients, because anything yeah. that we, anything that's causing us suffering is here to wake us back up to what's true in the moment beyond our misunderstandings. And so it's designed beautifully that way if we use it. And yeah, so I, I, I think kids, I think business, all of it, all of it can be used for our freedom. Yeah. All right. I have to get your prompts. I mean, I feel like you gave me a whole bunch of prompts. I did. I gave you, I can, I can repeat them. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do them. Okay. So the first question I find to sit with, that's really powerful is what I'm believing true. Yeah. And just pressing pause on that movie is what I'm believing true. It's like that could serve everything. The second one is what do I fear would happen if I got what I want? So powerful, that one. Or you could say it in another way because sometimes it helps the brain. If I got what I want, I fear dot, dot, dot. Okay. Yeah. That one might even be better. Um, and then the last one, what do I know that I don't want to know? That one gets me every time. (laughs) I love it. Amazing. Last question for you as we sit here today. What, you know, what truly just lights you up, makes you smile each day? Mm. My husband. Beautiful. Well, I want to thank, personally, thank you for making the time for this conversation and just sharing such beautiful insight, knowledge and practices and perspectives and, you know, thank also your, your grandfather for his Mm. showing up in your life and being present at just, you know, such a young age. And the fact that that has guided you up until this point and, you know, you just dedicating your life to help so many others out there. It's, it's a beautiful thing to witness and be a part of. So thank you for that. Thanks, Mark. It's really an honor to, to connect with you and to be part of sharing this work in a bigger way. I love, I love this topic and I love what you're up to and I'm honored to be here. 